What's going on, guys? And welcome back to another episode of the Creator Clubhouse Podcast. My name is Prince, along with DJ Vieira and Tess in the building today. What's up, guys? Uh, today, we have a very special guest. We have Clay Olson. He's the co-founder of Fight the New Drug. Um, Fight the New Drug is a non-religious and non-legislative organization that exists to provide individuals the opportunity to make an informed decision regarding pornography by raising awareness on its harmful effects using only science, facts, and personal accounts. Clay, what's up, brother? Welcome to the show. What up? Uh, thanks for having me. Good to be here. We're, we're stoked to have you. Um, what a cool company. We're so excited to, to learn more about what you guys do uh, over at Fight the New Drug. Why don't you start us off with a little bit of background on yourself and a little bit of background on what you guys do over at Fight the New Drug? Yeah. So, I mean, as you mentioned, Fight the New Drug exists to help individuals make informed decisions on a very, you know, very relevant and sometimes challenging subject uh, around pornography. And, and there's a lot of misinformation around uh, pornography. And, and uh, I, that's why we take a scientific approach because it kind of cuts right to the evidences of what it is and isn't. And, you know, what we shouldn't be concerned about and what we shouldn't be concerned about. So, uh, uh, you know, that's what fighting drug is. And this stemmed for me, this stemmed, you know, many years ago, over a decade ago, um, I owned a creative agency. We would do, you know, everything, marketing, uh, film, 3D, uh, whatever we needed to do to, to help a company build a brand. And, that, and that's what, what my career was. That's what I loved. I, I, I started the company with a couple of co-founders. And, um, you know, I thought that that was going to be my career path. But, uh, um, you know, I think there's like a lot of little moments that started to kind of build up for me that, that led me into taking a pretty big, the left-hand turn on a fork in the road that led me in a completely different path. Um, and it stemmed originally from my cousin who suffered from an addiction to pornography um, that uh, started when he was very young, led him to, to need more and more often in a more extreme version which took him to, well, led him to actions that were both illegal and inappropriate. And uh, he went to prison. And that was like a, a stick of dynamite. It was, it was, a, it was a big, uh, I mean, it was just devastating in our home. It's still, to this day, is something that, like, that it's not all settled. It's still a really big struggle. And, and he told me that it stemmed from some pornography. And that shocked me. That was like, how is that possible? And that led me to to dig into a lot of the research, uh, out of personal curiosity, because this was a, something that was, that my generation was dealing with it to an intensity and scale that no generation before had ever seen. And so that just kind of led, it just kind of opened that uh, door and uh, went down the rabbit hole of, of information and neuroscientific information. And, uh, uh you know, and I wanted people to know about it. I was like, well, gosh, this is something that we should all be talking about. Why aren't, why aren't we talking about this in a way that, that uh, can help people make more informed decisions? And so, you know, owning a creative agency, I kind of thought, well, why don't we just start something? Let's start a campaign. Let's just change the conversation um, around this and uh, kind of dove in and not really realizing what it would, you know, what, how it would take over my life. Yeah. That's awesome. So what's the... I guess the main like objection that a lot of people have, because I know it's like as a campaign, there's always kind of like these, these two sides to, to these kind of things. What are, what do people say on the opposing side, I guess? Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, anytime you're going to be 
sticking your neck up for for a cause that that is about a very relevant and current issue. There's going to be you know people on both sides of that camp kind of pushing, and just as we saw with tobacco back in the you know late 50s and 60s and 70s when when you know doctors and, and scientists uh, were on both sides of that camp. You know you had individuals saying that it was harmful and it could lead to lung cancer and other things, and other people saying it's fine, it's good, it cleans out the lungs and and uh, soothes the nerves. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and and of course today we're in a different place uh, yeah. around that topic. So so a lot of the a lot of the uh, objections that we hear, um, uh, we're not opposed to them because it, we, we look at it from a historical standpoint, like, look, this is why we exist. We're helping um, people kind of come over to the side of science and facts and, 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 and understanding the relevance of this. And there will come a day that we believe in which nobody questions the harmful potential of pornography, um, just as we don't question the harmful risk of, of smoking a cigarette. People still do it, but they do it knowingly. That that's the day that we see. So when we hear objections, it's not like an antagonistic like totally. Let's, let's debate this. It's more like, um, you know, that's you are why we exist. We want to help you understand what the realities are of this, so that we can kind of all move forward in a more healthy direct, uh, in a more healthy way. Um, so so it's I don't want to call it ignorance because that you know, you know paints a, a shade on that in, the individuals that oppose this. It's more of just a lack of awareness of what this is doing and how this is impacting individuals. And uh, because it came on so strong, so fast, uh, you know, this subject with the ubiquity of smartphones, with the accessibility, with, with uh, the anonymity, like it came on so hard, so fast, uh, you know, in a way that we had never seen before. I mean, pornography has existed for a long time, but in the way that we're experiencing it now, um, compared to to the way you know my parents, for instance, experienced pornography is like comparing a little baby kitten to a saber tooth tiger with lasers. It's like wow. two different worlds, yeah. right? So, so the way that we're experiencing it now is so new that science is catching up with that truth, and yeah. then society has to catch up with that science. And that that takes it's a it's a process mm-hmm. of getting people up to up to speed on that. Yeah, I'm just curious what that conversation looks like with with people, like as you're. As you're talking about it, you know, somebody who's like, oh, it's, it's, you know, it's totally okay. I have complete control over it, you know, whatever. What does that conversation look like? Like, what are some of the data points? Like, what, what are the effects on your brain? Right. Well, how do you, how do you, like you were talking about earlier, how do you even start, like, let's go backwards. Like, how do you even start the conversation in the first place? Like, how do you bring that up with someone? Well, I, I think that can take a lot of different shapes and forms, and like, and and I we we encourage a, as natural of an approach as possible, like uh, rather than kind of coming at your, your buddies, your yeah. friends, like, and just kind of saying, "Hey, do you know what you know? Porn's harmful, and here's why." It's like, you know, you know, recognizing that this is a topic that is largely misunderstood, and recognizing that there's a lot of different uh, uh, misinformation and, and different understandings, and trying to find that common ground, and trying yeah. to find kind of that. And, and not coming at it from a, a finger wagging, judgmental, shamey kind yeah. of way, but coming at it like, look, like, um, it, so, so for instance, you talked about, uh, you know, what does that conversation look like? Well, and, and that takes different shapes based on like, is this a mother child relationship? Is this a, a spouse a friend, uh, or a friendship or, you know, a colleague or a mentor? I mean, those conversations can look, look differently according to, to who you're speaking with, but ultimately, it's helping them recognize, uh, you know, people smoke today and some people, you know, live to, till they're 90 and they don't get lung cancer. And, 
And uh, of course, it's had adverse uh, health effects, but it, you know, maybe the end result wasn't death in their case. Um, so the, 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 the effects of pornography can vary from individual to individual. Yeah. And the effects on relationships can vary from individual to individual. So we talk holistically on like, look, these are the potential risks. And so we want you to yeah. consider before consuming. We want mm-hmm. you to help you know, be informed so that you can kind of manage that risk and say, you know, is this something that's really that I really want? And is, is this going to help me as an individual, you know, thrive and be, you know, my best life? Is it going to help my relationships thrive? Is it going to help uh, yeah. society? And the, you know, and we can talk about more about those details. But I, you know, if you want to dig into, you know, what are those effects on the individual relationship yeah. and stuff, I'm happy to go into those. I, yeah, I think that'd be a great place to go. It, it's interesting about how to start the conversation when I was talking with Parker. Uh, which is one of the reasons I got, I was so excited to chat with you Garrett, in the first Garrett, place. I think, right? No, Parker. Oh. Uh, so when I was chatting with Parker from your team, uh, we were chatting on the phone and I was telling him, I'm like, this is such a natural fit because I naturally have like these really difficult conversations with buddies that just like pop up. So a perfect example, uh, I was on a river trip a few months back and a buddy of mine's telling me about how his relationship has kind of been changing with his wife and he doesn't doesn't really look at her the same and doesn't feel like that, that, that passion that he once had for her. And he's telling me all these things and, and we're in this tent, you know, just a few feet apart from each other. And I look him in the eye. I'm like, are you watching porn? He goes, what? I'm like, are you watching porn? And he goes, well, yeah, of course. I'm like, well, how often? He's like, he looks at me and he's like daily. And I'm like, it's probably your answer. I'm like, it's your, your porn challenge that you, you know, this daily porn thing is probably creating a lot of tension in your relationship. And it's, and, and, and I know that porn's just not good for you. So long story short, he stops watching it and he sent me this Instagram message, uh, you know, a month or so ago. And he's like, dude, my relationship is back to normal with my wife. Everything's amazing. I'm so much happier. You are totally right. I feel so much better. And so, uh, I do think it can be like, uh, I, I wouldn't necessarily know how to approach the conversation with like a stranger, but I know with like a close buddy, you can almost kind of like, and I, I would imagine with your guys' research, you can probably learn, like you can just ask people how their relationships and certain things, things are, and you can almost probably, uh, see the side effects and probably know that they probably have some type of porn addiction or something that's causing these, these things that are playing out in their life. And I think it depends uh-huh. on your relationships with your friends too, because you, they know that you're coming out of love, not out of judgment. For sure. Yeah. The, the conversations with people that you, that, that you trust and that love you love and they love you, those can be extremely beautiful and they can also be the most damaging if they're handled incorrectly. Right. If, if you come at it with a lot of judgment and shame, that's where the, the, the biggest craters in relationships can, can form. Mm-hmm. So, but when they are approached with, with love and support, encouragement, um, that's when it can be a very natural, beautiful support mechanism. And that's where, you know, real change can occur. Um, but, you know, when you reference this, this individual, a buddy of yours who, who, you know, was kind of feeling less attracted to his, his spouse or his partner, um, that's the cool thing about this is that, that, you know, anecdotally, we could tell you literally, I and mean, we get hundreds of thousands of messages into our organization. Um, and we, we share story after story after story validating those points, but they, you could also dismiss that and say, well, that's just, you know, that's just their experience because I'm in a different place and that's not me. It's not going to affect me in that same way. It's too bad for him, but I'm in a good place. 
But the reality is that there's been so many studies. In fact, um, there, there was a meta study done where they actually analyzed multiple studies, over 40 studies that were conducted. And that meta study analyzed all the results of all these studies and it confirmed so conclusively that individuals that regularly consume pornography uh, experience a, a significant decrease in their satisfaction with their real life relationships. Hmm. Uh, wow. So it really generates kind of a desire, like a, a preference of pixels over people um, over wow. time. And that, and that stems, and you think, well, how does that happen? That stems from the neuro, the neuro, neuroscience and the neurological uh, underpinnings of what's occurring when individuals view pornography on a regular yeah. basis. It is literally reshaping over time and redefining what they're seeking and what they're craving um, programming. So, uh, so there's an actual rewiring occurring in the brain. So over time, yeah, this isn't cutting it. This isn't yeah. doing it anymore for me. Yeah. And that need for more and more often in a more extreme version is going to lead you to not only be less satisfied, it's going to lead you to, to seek out alternatives. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, and of course, I, we, there, you, don't, you don't need a neuroscience degree to understand how much that's going to impact a relationship. That yeah. is going to detrimentally impact a relationship. it seems obvious that's the thing that's funny to me is it seems obvious that that would affect your relationship and people who are like you know it's fine for me or or whatever like that's the thing that i don't understand it's like there's a lot of people who are very like pro and i'm pro you know like like being open with your sexuality or whatever but i think like that's great and even understanding yourself and whatever and what your preferences are but I feel like there's a line when you're like, when you have a partner, when you're with somebody else, like it, it just makes sense that that would affect your relationship. And it makes mm-hmm. sense that like, once you kind of go down that road, you're going to want or need more and more and more and more. And like, where does it stop? And that's, mm-hmm. I think the thing that you're talking about, like with your cousin, it's like it, it, you know, it's got to stop somewhere. I feel like from a logical standpoint, it it is, I mean, it does make sense, but I'm sure as you found I mean, it, it, it's a drug and just yeah. like logically things don't make sense to most addicts and you don't even really know. And oftentimes addicts don't realize they have an addiction. Yeah. You know, you talk to an addict and they think everything is is fine in their in their reality, in this space that they've created. And I think probably the same thing happens with yeah. with porn addiction. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when it comes to the brain and, and this is after literally interviewing dozens and dozens of neuroscientists from around the world um, where, that have done research on this, not just the fact they have a degree, they've done research on uh, hypersexual behavior uh, as it corresponds to relationship quality, as it corresponds to you know, uh, neuroscientific, uh, neurological health, as it pertains to societal health. So after interviewing all these neuroscientists uh, from around the world, um, they, they confirm that, that this is a, this is a, when it comes to addiction, uh, when it comes to the brain, addiction is addiction is addiction. The, the manifestations physically can be wildly different based on the drug or the behavior, but the neurological process is identical from addiction to addiction. Uh, Valerie Voon from Cambridge University has done a, a extensive research in, in this uh, area, and she's done brain scans of individuals that were, uh, that were uh, her, her field is addiction. And recently, she's kind of pivoted some attention to sexual addiction, behavioral and process addictions. And what she found is that the, the neuroscans of, of drug addicts mirrored those of 
of uh, individuals with uh, hypersexual compulsivity. Mm, and, wow. and so when it comes to the brain, the process is the same and it's a gradual process. It's a very slow drip process. So it's not like a, you view pornography and boom, you no longer are attracted to this person and you now only want to be. It's such a gradual shift that you don't recognize it. And in our society today, pornography is not only accepted, it is, it is uh, you know, celebrated and it is everywhere that yeah. it's it's interesting when i you know when you're watching movies or whatever when when they make crack jokes about how just obviously we all watch porn clearly like get on board this is normal this is natural the reality is historically it is so not normal and natural mm -hmm. and the context that we are you know that, that that comment comes from is such a narrow sliver of of, of a lack of understanding. What we are experiencing today, what young people are experiencing today is so absurdly outside of what normal and healthy yeah. is. Mm -hmm. um, but, but they don't know that. They're unaware of that yeah. reality. And, uh, and parents and teens are using the same word to define two vastly different things. To parents, pornography is bare-chested women in cornfields. To youth today, that is aggressive and oftentimes violent, uh, very visceral pornography and uh, and the implications on a, on a developing brain of wow. experiencing that stimulus mm -hmm. is 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 profound and long lasting. Mm -hmm. Let me ask you this, Clay. So why? Because this is something that frustrates me. Like, why is pornography or soft porn or whatever you want to call it? Why is it so prevalent today? And why is it so common? I mean, you see it in our social media feeds. You see it on. Twitter, you see them censoring certain people based on things that they say, but yet you'll be browsing a hashtag on Twitter and there's full on just porn. And I, I, I never understood like, why is this stuff seem like it's so readily available and why is it everywhere? And why are they, why are they pushing it? It almost feels like it's something like this distraction that they're putting front and center. It's like, Hey, look at all these women or Hey, look at this. Or, we know you're on social media, but check this out. Well, yeah, there, there's a, a variety of reasons, um, and there's simplistic answers and there's more complex answers. Um, uh, but as we dive into it a little bit, you, um, we recognize that we are all driven um, by certain incentives, and, and businesses are driven by certain incentives and clicks and engagement, and what sells? Sex, right? Yeah. And so yeah. when you talk about uh, a company that's trying to, a company or an individual or, or you know, that's, that's seeking validation, that's seeking um, you know, uh, support and engagement on their platforms, whether it's a social influencer, whether it's a, a you know, a, a depressed teenager looking for validation from their peers, whether, you know, when they show more or when they do these things, they're going to get more engagement and support, which then kind of perpetuates the issue. So some of the, the challenges that we're facing today and the reason why it's so new in our current landscape is the advancement of technology has unlocked the door to a lot of great amazing things it's also unleashed some an, a dark underbelly uh as, as we learn with and it's not just pornography it's a, it's social media at large for uh, sure you know, it's becoming more and more understood that there's some serious adverse implications to, to to social media and to to other online behavior so i mean some of it is just the natural progression of of the advancements of technology some of it is is some um, specific uh, efforts by uh, um, by uh, organizations that have. I mean, pornography is a nearly a hundred billion dollar uh, industry. You know, 
they're they're similar to what the tobacco industry was back in the day. Now, this type of organization doesn't just kind of go with flow. It's like research comes out and says, hey, pornography is harmful. They're not just going to be like, oh, okay, well, Dang. I guess we better, you know. <laughs> Shoot. Oh, my goodness. Like, yeah. they are an enormously money. powerful engine yeah. that, is, that is incentivized to smother and, and, and squash any uh anybody saying otherwise and i say that not just in theory i say that yeah i'm curious yeah i want to hear i want to hear what like industry wise what has been done like in retaliation i'm super curious because the david and goliath yeah i'm curious too because it's it's just wrong like so many other things it's just wrong but it seems like profit is as long as profits there, our health and in society, yeah, nobody, mental health and the care. social fabric, yeah. it's all expendable. Yeah. So, I mean, you uh, might have to. I know you probably have to be careful what you say, but also like I'm super around. curious. Yeah, he's yeah. like looking what over your I shoulder. <laughs> Just make sure there's no sniper out. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, so let me let me say this because I, I really want to make this clear. I I believe to my core that there are many inside of the industry. And the more you learn about what is happening in the industry, the more kind of, it's funny, we make social, we make purchasing decisions all the time around, you know, uh, social justice things. Like if we learn that sneakers are made with child yeah. labor, we, we, we decide to make purchasing decisions that avoid said company yep. and, and you know, we don't engage. If the public knew what the conditions and what was yep. happening on wow. yeah. virtually almost all porn sets around the world, yep. And the thing is, like, we want to close our eyes to it because we have such a hunger for it. Society, we want to close our eyes to those realities because we would not stand for that. Yep. Mm-hmm. We would not allow that industry to exist in the way that it exists right. if we could detach ourselves from our our addiction to it. Yeah, mm-hmm. 100%. Um, so the reality is that the industry is very, very dark, much darker. And, and I say that again. You're talking about from a security standpoint as well? What's that? Are you talking about like from a security standpoint as well? Because I know there's there's also the security threat. Like like it's not just like porn. That's there's more going on on these sites than just. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's funny. And I'm getting a little off topic. I'll come back. But like <laughs> when we talk about the pornography industry and we talk about sex trafficking, oh my goodness, sex yeah. trafficking. We are there, all yeah. up in arms about. We will do whatever it takes. We'll throw throw so much money Mm -hmm. to kind of combat that. But what's so interesting and ironic about that is that they are really not two industries. They're one industry and they're the sexual exploitation industry. And the the players in one are the same players in the other. Mm -hmm. And people don't recognize it. More of the pornography that you view um, than you think involves people that are there unwillingly and against their will. They are forced into these situations. And that is by definition trafficking. Um, and, and, And we just, again, we want to close our eyes to this. So if we really want to address sex trafficking, as a society, and we want to eradicate that, mm-hmm. we cannot adequate, adequately do so without addressing what's fueling the demand for that to wow. even exist. Yeah. And pornography yeah. plays a significant role in that. So coming back to the industry, I truly believe that there are many inside the industry, and I, after having said all that, I'm going to say that if they knew, if they were educated, you know, would, so I don't want to paint this this picture that everyone that's participating is evil. A lot of the, uh, a lot of them are there um, because they don't understand, they don't know better. They yeah. were yeah. kind of put, you know forced into it. They uh, unconscious. Yeah, and and so um, so and and there's a lot of victimization that's 
occurring inside that that industry. There are some really bad players, and they're driving a lot of negativity in in, in that industry and in our society. So one time, and this is just one example. And there's yeah, I've had death threats. Yes, we've had some stuff like that. <clears throat> but uh, this one example really uh, upset me. Um, we had this. Uh, we we did this video with a former uh, porn star. Uh, and he was one of the most famous porn stars that has ever been like, he's one of the most awarded porn stars um, that uh, had existed. And, uh, and he did this video about him opening up and saying, pornography destroyed my life, destroyed my relationship, destroyed sex for me. Like I, I couldn't look at somebody as a human being, everything was an object. Um, and the industry you know, this destroyed my life. And so we produced this video, we put it out there, you know, it was a, it was a powerful piece. Um, <clears throat> later on, about uh, three months later, I see this article from uh, a publishing company called AVN, which is the Adult Video Network Publishing. So it's like, it's an inside industry publication. Mm -hmm. And it was an interviewing this guy that we had just interviewed. And it was interviewing him like fresh, like a recent interview, saying how we manipulated him, how we, Interesting. Like basically put words in his mouth, how we edited it in a way that made him sound like he was opposed. He's like, I would never say those things. I And basically like just going back on everything we said that he said to us. And I was like, what the heck? So I reached out to him. And I said, Hey, are you, are you two faced? What's going on? Like, why, why would you say that? We didn't, we didn't, we like your words are your words. We didn't edit this in a manipulative way. And he goes, what are you talking about? I go, this, this interview you did with AVN, why, why did you say those things? He says, I haven't, I haven't done an interview with AVN. And he's like, well, I mean, I'm like, yeah, here it is. And he's like, that, I, that never happened. I never, so this, this, this publication like saw a former, you know, champion of theirs, a former rock star inside their industry saying negative things. So they fa literally fabricated an article that wow. went out yeah. and, it was pretty, and it was shared quite a bit. It was oh, like yeah. pretty well distributed saying that it, that was false. I mean, the, the links of these, and that was a minor thing. I, I know that's not like, but, but nonetheless, the links that these people will go to uh, uh, ethically, yeah. to make sure that the narrative socially is that pornography is good, healthy, and a healthy sexual exploration for young kids to explore. Yeah. Like, the, the, the more we can embrace this as, as as a part of our society and a normal part of our society, a healthy part, um, the more that they thrive. And so they, this is not some, this is not a passive uh, approach. Yeah. They literally employ uh, academics that that are their sole job is to uh, to perpetuate a certain narrative yeah. in, in yeah. academia. Well, I think anytime That's, you have money, you can create research. To prove yeah. your to prove your point, and this is I mean, the tobacco 100%. industry. Right. Tobacco is a perfect example of that. But yeah, it's just like there's gonna be. I I see it with things like Tesla. With anybody who's like trying to innovate, I I was like tracking these news cycles with Tesla at one point, and I saw that literally every two weeks at the same time they would just drop all of these articles like anti Fud. Tesla. Yeah, and it's just like at the same time, and they're just like literally trying to like perpetuate like it's oil companies obviously like trying to perpetuate this whole thing but that's the challenge with research in general all research yeah. is funded and it makes it really difficult to like we live in a new landscape where it's so hard to know which news outlets to trust to which blogs which research and so it, it's it's the information we have an abundance of information it's all about how you know do we have the skill set to synthesize the information and and, and really find truth in mm -hmm. the sea of of things 
And, and, and I think that's, that's key because, I mean, you know, just speaking to, to another small example, um, I was reported to the DCFS. This is like, um, you know, the child protection uh, uh, organization that, that, that makes sure that you know, children are, are safe. And, and I was reported to the DCFS uh, for child sex abuse. Um, you know, totally fabricated. There's no evidence to it at all. I, I was like, what happened? But they were trying to get any sort of like alleged allegation against me. Oh my me gosh. Just to say. So that they could then, and in fact, I found out who it came from because the attorney general got involved and like found out who it came from. And then that, I found out that she had written an article and she had submitted it to a, a paper that said alleged this. Because if you can, if you can uh, discredit yeah. Uh, like the founder of an organization, mm-hmm. you can discredit everything that that then represents and yeah. like what they've accomplished and everything they've done. So Even if it's not true, knew, just the perception. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It doesn't matter where truth is. As long as I can get that out there as a public, uh, like a publicized thing, um, then we can dismantle this whole thing. Um, and that same, or that same individual, um, would go before we, we we do high school assemblies and middle school assemblies sometimes. And we, we, we educate young people on the harmful effects of pornography on the brain relationships in society. <clears throat> and before we'd show up to a, a city or a school, um, they would have a whole propaganda thing uh, uh, pushing out to like the PTA, yeah. telling them to cancel because they, uh, and, and all sorts of lies, like how the, the money that I, I'm, I'm, I'm swimming in millions of dollars because people buy t-shirts, which is so absurd. <laughs> I work for a, a public charity. Like, yeah. Bible, you can identify what I, yeah. anyway. So. It's all on paper. Yeah. yeah. But the more that they can kind of throw those darts. So it's not even like a debate. If we want to debate the research, we want to discuss the, a healthy person all day long. Let's have that dialogue. But if you want to like, and this is like ridiculous, the, the, the links that they go to, to try to dismantle uh, a message because yeah. of the money on the line. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's interesting too, that your point about like ethics, that's like the biggest thing for me. It's like, I see like social justice warriors. It's the same people, social justice warriors who would like go, they would risk their life to save a cat. And like, but then on the other side, there's like people who are struggling with drug addiction in the porn industry or like sex trafficking or all of these things that are happening kind of in plain sight. And like some people are talking about it. It's obviously not like a huge conversation, but like for me, the start of this was I was uh, volunteering with the Dream Center and we heard like stories of people who were in sex trafficking. They're like, you know, recovering from sex trafficking and their whole thing was like it started with like a porn thing and then it turned into drugs and then it turned into this whole thing and they end up you know 20 years later on the other side of that and i'm like wow this industry is is just like chewing people up and spitting them out and it's like it's not good for any of the people involved and that was like the biggest story that i heard like over and over again that victims of sex sex trafficking were like porn was the start to that that was the beginning and it looked all nice and and great in the beginning and then it became this really dark road and then it was drugs and then it was this and then it was that and like there's no like regulation there's no like protection for the people and there's there's none of that and so that for me was like i was like okay what this is supporting just like the same way that i you know would i would support an industry that i feel like is helping or you know i would i would not give my dollars to a company that is hurting the environment or that is, you know, using child labor or anything like that. Like to me, I look at that as these are the same thing. Like it's just as bad. It's just here. And like, 
how do the same people that are like, you know, giving all their money to save animals, but then like also like your views are a vote or it's, it's dollars, your time spent on there is like making them money. And so that's always been really confusing for me that, that people can't see that. And I don't know if it's a lack of research or like I, I, people shut off their brains to that because they're like, well, not me. I don't know. Well, truth is hard. I think it's, it's not convenient. It's a very inconvenient truth, yeah. you know, and you see that all the yeah. time. You, you put, you, you, when you hear it in movies, right, you can't handle the truth. I mean, it's, that is the truth. A lot of people either can't handle the truth or it's not convenient to recognize the truth. And so it's easier to, especially if everyone else is kind of going along with it. It's yeah. a lot easier just to pretend it's not there. And, and because, you know, pornography doesn't, you know, immediately uh, impact your ability to drive a vehicle or to, you know, <laughs> you know, your eyes don't get dilated. It doesn't really impact your cognitive capacity in, mm. you know, so directly and so like other drugs do. It's so easy to think that that this is it's harmless in all fronts. It's harmless yeah. to me. It's harmless to my, my partner doesn't need to know. And it's harmless to that. And, and, and it's harmless to society. It's not like, I mean, if this is like every time you view pornography, you had to strangle a kitten, like people would say, okay, I'm out. Like, yeah. I'm not going to do yeah. that. It's like, that goes way beyond. But because it's so easy, like you said, it's an inconvenient truth. Yeah. But I think that, so so we talked about technology advancing and, and kind of making it more pervasive and available. <clears throat> and, and I think that uh, an, ex, an acceptance of pornography has also perpetuated this. Uh, you know, it's, it used to be something that you did not talk about. It was never mentioned it would never be mentioned on television, you know, like a sitcom kind of situation where people are just joking about viewing pornography. Yeah. Like today, that's very much the world we live in. It's so widely accepted. It's so accessible, more, more accessible than any other, you know, substance uh, available. And uh, because of that, um, it really requires some of this research to catch up because back when we started fighting a drug uh, over a decade ago, we felt like there was a ton of literature and research around the topic at that time. And, and looking back, there was so little, um, but there was enough for us to kind of like get going today. There's so much more, but, but, but we have moved in a direction as a society so far down the road and science, you know, researchers and, and academics um, are trying to catch up to understand the implications, but that's going to be, uh, it's going to be really long and hard pivot for society to, to get on board. And we're, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to accelerate that. We're trying to like educate people and accelerate that to where we can collectively recognize the risks and move in a more healthy direction. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's really difficult sometimes for people to get away from it because they're introduced at such a young age. Like, I don't understand how people are okay with, like, I mean, kids are seeing it as young as, like, 10 or, I mean, you, younger you than know, younger. like, younger young, than that. seven, like, you know, like, how... I don't understand how people, even if people are okay with like their adult, you know, yeah. their adults like, oh, we watch it together and it's whatever, you yeah. know, but like right. having a child subjected to that kind of content just blows my mind that people are okay with children seeing sexual content. 
for me, it's like, where does the liability land? Right. Yeah. So like for me, the way that I was exposed, I was a kid and it's Friday night or whatever night and I'm up late watching a movie on HBO or Showtime. But guess what happens at 10 o'clock mm-hmm. after that movie's over? Mm-hmm. Next up is whatever erotica hotel or whatever it may be. And here you are as a, as a kid yeah. what, and you've never really seen this before. And you're just like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> like looking around, making sure. And you don't you're, you you're so innocent. You don't really yeah. you don't have no idea where this it should be it should be a choice or? it should be a choice that you have and i feel like that uh yeah that liberty of choice mm-hmm. is taken away from from for sure young people yeah. well and sometimes it's i mean it's by their friends too yeah. like now with technology for you sure. can just be like oh i found this on you know yeah but like with with uh let's say it's like with like weed or with you know something else it's like mm-hmm. you at least have the liberty to say no, to say no. and with mm-hmm. with this stuff you you're subjected to it in a way that you don't necessarily especially at young ages mm-hmm. like where you don't necessarily either have the capacity yeah. or the um like it's it's something that starts before you can yeah. stop it you, you know see it or you don't you even exactly register that it's something you what it is and you don't understand it like yeah. growing up you have dare right mm-hmm. you have dare in these things so when someone says like hey smoke this you're like no nah, you want I, some weed I, I, I heard <laughs> about this stuff yeah but with pornography when it pops up on the screen you're there's it's there was no point in my yeah. schooling or anywhere in my life where someone was like, hey, when you see this, turn it off. It's yeah. it's not good. You're not supposed to watch that. So there was no mm-hmm. default mode to, to react in it in any other way. So it was just a foreign new discovery of yeah. what is this. Yeah. Well, it's, I think it's yeah. uncomfortable for parents and other people. Sorry. Go ahead, Mike. <laughs> no, no. Oh, I love this. I mean, you guys are touching on so, so many of the reasons why this is a difficult topic. This yeah. is the reason why this is challenging because, because uh, we get messages in from, from some youth as young as eight years old and oh. and that's after they've already been struggling for a while that's Reaching wild saying, help me now that was not the case 20 years ago yeah. and yeah. any other time prior to that yeah. like, this is a new phenomenon that we're just kind of waking up to mm-hmm. and the more we understand about the brain and adolescent brains and exposure to that supernormal stimulus at that age and as that perpetuates and as that behavior continues the implications of that yep. rewiring process is literally redefining for an entire generation what love and intimacy and connection and sexuality even is. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's shifting the definition. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the tidal wave of harm that we face, or that, that, that is coming, has not yet reached our shores. Yeah. Yeah. Tidal wave of harm is still a mile out as this generation rises up and becomes... Um, and kind of takes the society over and becomes the, yeah. the judges and the lawmakers and the police officers and the and the teachers and and the parents and how that then per- permeates through. So I have hope. I mean, this is sounding yeah. very kind of fatalistic and like just kind of you know throw your hands up in the air. You know, we are seeing a shift. Yeah, we are seeing a shift in in people opening, recognizing, and, and becoming awake to the risks that this is causing and and and. Uh, and the damage that, that that is in the wake of all of this, and we are seeing people like here in this podcast, like people, young people in, in their teens on on school campuses, you know, use their voice and use their story to help um, change the conversation from "dude, check this out" to "dude, that's not cool," and here's why. Yeah, and and here's here's what we now know, and that is it's not just theory; it's not just who wouldn't it be cool if we're starting to see that actually shift. Um, uh, you know, communities and 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 in in micro areas, societies in a different direction, and it's it's really hopeful. Um, yeah, science is caught up with truth. 
more every 40 out of the last 40 studies have confirmed the addictive nature of pornography and neurological studies like science is caught up with truth it's up to us now to catch up with science mm -hmm. yeah and uh, and it's going to take a collective voice to do so and eventually we believe that the groundswell of knowledge and, and, and permeate. We're not out there to decrease or to limit the supply of pornography. We're out there to decrease the demand through education. Yeah. And as we do so, then we'll start to see policies shift. You know, uh, uh, you know, an eight-year-old can't go to a vending machine anymore and get a pack of cigarettes. Yeah. There's some restrictions on, there's warning labels, it's behind yeah. the counter, you have to show ID. Like that kind of regulation online Need, we need to get there for yeah. youth. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And we're not there even close. We have a, like a, the bare minimum requirement of like, are you 18 or older? And yeah. What, right. Tell me what 15 year old sees that and says, dang it. Yeah. <laughs> Guess, I, <laughs> so, Guess I should and, go outside. And, yeah. I'll go somewhere else. No, yeah. Way, they're clicking absolutely. I'm 18. Show me what you got to show yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So I'm going to throw you for a curveball. So from like a therapy side, so we have like the, the problem and from like a solution standpoint, I'm sure there's, there's different types of therapy, but you're talking a lot about neuroscience and these neural pathways that the addiction is forming and, 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 it, and it is in fact a, a, a way or a type of programming in the mind. And so I know with a lot of other things like PTSD has a similar, you know, neuro uh, pathway reprogramming drug addiction and I too. know drug addiction and alcoholism. And I know that, you know, there's been a lot of research coming out from, uh, the use of psychedelics in therapeutic settings to help people with PTSD and alcohol addictions. And I'm curious if you've ever come across any research like that on the porn addiction side of it. Oh, uh, yes. So there, there's a lot of research around, uh, well, I should say a lot. There, there's, uh, there's more and more needs to happen. We need more research, but there's, a, there's compelling and, and sufficient evidence to suggest that a rewiring process back to it, you know, and I don't want to say back to, because the brain, it's not like that. It's not like right. your brain goes back to its original state. No, yep. it's just keels Neuro, forward yeah. into a, a more healthy state. And, but the rewiring process, it's it, it, a term called neuroplasticity. Mm -hmm. Neuro meaning brain, plasticity meaning changeability and moldability. So the brain is constantly changing. Actually, whether you want it to or not, it's constantly changing based on what we do, how we engage, what we learn, what we what we watch, uh, what lifestyle decisions we make. The brain is constantly changing based on experiences, and uh, and for better or for worse. And so this this is really good news because it's it's not just in our adolescence and it's all through our entire lives that as we want to like learn something new, like a new instrument or play a new sport, um, our brains can get more efficient and, and better at at certain behaviors and where it kind of goes into um, uh, muscle memory and we get into this place yeah. where we we can our reflexes get faster and our ability to to read music gets a lot faster because that rewiring process in the brain. Yeah. Okay. So that's what we know. We know that now. It's it's it's. There's not a neuroscience out there that doesn't believe that the brain is changing. Well, that same neuroplastic process can heal a, a, a rewired brain or a damaged brain uh, into a better, more healthy state. And so, as we and it can take time, and recovery is a process. But as we start to engage in that recovery process, which addiction is is often the result of this deficiency in three main key relationships. We've heard um, Dr. Uh, Johan Hari talk about the opposite of addiction is not sobriety. 
the opposite of addiction is connection. Mm. Have you ever heard that? Um, and that's really true. As we dive deeper um, as to like, well, what do you mean by connection? Like and, a lack and of really love? Like, what's that? Is it like, is, so is it a lack of love? It, well, it, it's, it's a deficiency in three main relationships and, and lack of love for its, its relationship with self, relationship with others, and relationship with higher power. And that doesn't have to take a religious context. That can be higher power, meaning that, that we are connected, that we are like there's a larger, that you are not the center of the universe, that, that there's something bigger at play and that we're we not? connected together. So a, a, a belief in, or, or the, the strengthening of these key three relationships is, uh, is, is the best uh, you know, prevention to, to any addictive pattern or uh, uh, addictive or mental health problem. But deficiency in these, deficiencies in these areas can really set us up for, uh, to be more vulnerable to these patterns. So when we say a relationship with self, that's like a love for self, but it's also how we treat ourselves. It's, it's, yeah. it's exercise and nutrition and sleep um, because as those things are out of whack, we become more vulnerable for coping and looking for, for mm-hmm. things uh, exterior from that. Mm-hmm. And then uh, trauma and relationships with others, the, the health of those relationships with, yeah. with our key relationships can, can either be a strength or a vulnerability. So, so healing is, is very possible. I don't like the, the statement, once an addict, always an addict. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that's true. The research doesn't support it. I get the sentiment that you got to be careful and that you've got to kind of go through the motions and you got to sell, you know, you got to, um, do self-care and you've got to, um, you know, you can't put yourself back in those environments that are going to yield negative results, but it's not true that it, that once an addict, always an addict, you can heal. Yeah. It's been proven neuro- neurologically. It's been proven in, in countless, uh, uh, stories, of, uh, therapeutic stories of people going through the process. And it's, there's a lot of hope. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't have to plague you for the rest of your life. Yeah. I think education is such a, like when you, when people know better, they, they will do better. And when you don't understand just same thing with drugs, same thing with anything else, we don't understand why you're coping necessarily. It's just something that you do. Like it's hard to, it's hard to have any reason to stop that. But if you're like, Oh, I'm coping when you know yourself better then you're like, okay, I want to do better. And I want to understand. Yeah. I was going to say something similar. I, I think, uh, I'm all about just the holistic taking the like really gaining perspective and getting the 10,000 foot view. And when you look down, you realize uh, there's so much more than just the porn. There's the health, there's the mental health, there's the physical, there's relationships. uh, There's, there's, there's so much going on in in each of our worlds. And just like the planet, how the planet is in like this hairy situation right now with, Uh, the health of the planet, we're in a hairy situation as individuals, as like as, as a community of people with our health. And so re- we're in like this state of regeneration to where we're trying to regenerate the planet and we're trying to regenerate ourselves. And we're trying, you know, we're relearning and, and letting go of things like porn that we didn't realize what it was doing to us when we were young or alcohol or tobacco or the television that we watch or the music that we listen to and all these different things of programming and how they affect our minds and we weren't really aware of how all these things come together in this like massive pie and each thing is like a small piece. And it's really kind of at an individual level, taking back our self sovereignty and, and, and understanding that we are in control of our lives and having to really understand with like the world that we're constantly engaging with every single day and, and all these different experiences that we have every day. And you have to become aware of these things to really take back your, to take back the self yeah, I, I, I love that. And uh, I think that, 
you know, people often come to us um, and, and we have a tool called Fortify that helps people uh, dealing with this and overcome this. And, and people often come and say, hey, I, I want to fix this piece of my life. Yeah. I don't want to watch pornography anymore. And, and they say, yeah, I want to do everything else. I, I want to be myself in every other way, but I, I, want, I don't want to fix this piece. And we say, look, it doesn't work that way. If we want to fix this, we got to look, go upstream. Yeah. Look at the yeah. contributing factors. What are driving these behaviors in the first place? And and it really comes down, there's a there's an approach to, to uh, recovery that's called therapeutic lifestyle change. And it, and it applies to, to mental health as well. And it's really fascinating and, it, and it's all very steeped in the literature and the research, but it's looking at like, okay, well, you may not think that your nutrition and your sleep and your exercise and your past trauma and your meaning and purpose uh, and your mindfulness are contributing to, to this. But as we strengthen these, uh, you know, pornography starts to lose its seduction. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite yeah. quotes, one of my favorite quotes is from Dan Millman and it says, the secret of change is to focus all of your energy, not on fighting the old, but on building the new. Mm. And so the question is, what are we, if we focus holistic, like entirely on pornography and getting rid of pornography, it misses the mark. Yeah. Pornography is a symptom of larger issues that, are, that we need to address. And as we like focus on building the new, it's kind of like light and darkness. Yeah. In order to turn off the darkness, sorry, you, in, in order to, to make a dark room light, you don't turn um, off the darkness. Yeah. yeah. You, you can't right. turn off the, so you have good. to turn on the light that requires and and the definition of light is the absence of light Dark, is right. the the absence of darkness um, mm-hmm. or sorry darkness is yeah. the absence of light and so as we look at ways that we can build a, a, a better more healthy life and the decisions we're making and the relationships that we're creating pornography just fades into the dark uh, and fades into the background and and uh and so Focusing on what we're creating, what we're building, what we're yeah. fighting for rather than what we're fighting against is, is a much better mindset. I love that. We talk a lot about that on the podcast, you know, uh, the choosing abundance over scarcity, you know, yes. and abundance is the creativity and it is the new and it is the creation of things versus the scarcity of what you were and yesterday and, and all these things that we oftentimes get stuck in. Yeah. Awesome. I was just I was just gonna ask real quick. So let's say you have a friend or yourself who's like struggling in this like loop because I think it's some, I mean it's something that we we've talked about this before, but something that I've struggled with in the past too. And it's like how do you break that cycle? How do you get out of that loop? Is there like tried and true steps? If somebody's like I'm hearing all this, but you know it seems like kind of a challenge to to break this cycle yeah. what or like a framework right yeah. we know there's no tried and true otherwise we'd all be healed and and healthy people but, but like first step yeah you know yes so um there, there there's a lot of pathways like you mentioned a lot of pathways to to success a lot of pathways to healing and that can take different shapes depending on uh, an individual but it, but there are kind of some thematic realities that really help and, uh, and that comes from a, um, a continuation of, of, of learning and, and understanding what you're dealing with and, 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 and how um, to understand those behaviors, how they got there in the first place. And then, so we kind of break it up into learn, connect, and track. Uh, as individuals can continue to learn and become educated on the issue, but also on, on the solution, um, they're going to be able to take those actions. You know, what are what are the steps? How do I build the life that I want? How do I create? How do I improve in these areas that are I'm maybe vulnerable in? How do I connect? 
um, with individuals. If you try to overcome this by yourself, um, the, the likelihood of success diminishes dramatically. It is something that often requires some support and it doesn't yeah. have to be the type of support that's like therapeutic in nature where they're like, you're actually, you know, talking directly about your struggle that, that can be valuable and helpful, but it's just larger connections, strengthening those connections around you and being really present in those relationships and being, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, being there for them as they, as you hope they are there for you, but being open and transparent about that struggle with at least a few allies in that journey yeah. and then tracking and finding those patterns and, and, and recognizing, you know, what, uh, what's leading to the, to the vulnerable mm -hmm. moments that you can kind of then address. So we help people like learn, connect and track. But, but I, I think that um, uh, if an individual is, is wanting to, uh, you know, overcome this and they're wanting to, to improve and they're wanting to move in a better direction. Um, uh, I, I would say the first step is, is uh, reaching out to somebody that can be there for them, whether that's a professional or, or uh, a friend uh, being accountable to somebody is is often the linchpin to success. Whereas without it, um, you you often just kind of like spin in, in kind of mm -hmm. a, a high moment of like I'm doing great and then uh, relapse and then high and then relapse and relapse and and to get out of that, it often requires that support mm. uh, from somebody. It sounds like connection is like such a key in all of this too. Of like. And that it does require like some level of vulnerability, just to even like talk about it. And I feel like it's something that's kind of like, especially with guys, they're just like not gonna, some dudes are like, you know, they'll talk about whatever, but I feel like a lot of guys, there's like, there's shame associated with porn. There's like this whole kind of like underlying thing where it's like hard to talk about it. And I think even like for women too, it's like something that people just kind of like sometimes assume they're like, oh, like women don't watch porn, whatever. But I think that connection it sounds to me like what you're saying, that's the key of like, number one, being willing to be vulnerable with people to talk about it, but then also just to forge stronger connections with other people so that you can, like you're saying, like kind of replace that with connection. For yeah. sure. I mean, pornography has, has been proven in the literature to, to affect what we love, how much we love, how we think about those we love mm. and how we express love. And, and, and so when you talk about, connection being so central it's true pornography really detaches you from that connection yeah in, in almost every way and as you strengthen those connections and relationships again it pulls you away from that seduction and lure into a much more healthy state so connection is so so paramount and so critical in in the uh, in the process of healing and overcoming this i love that too because you brought up connection earlier when you said uh, the third step was like this, this, this greater spiritual, uh, connectivity, this connect the, the understanding that we're all connected. And then you talk yeah. about how connection seems to be a reoccurring theme. And then when I think of connection, I think of us as human beings, we're not whole without that connectivity, which yeah. is why we all need the connection because yeah. we're all part of something bigger, yeah. which is why we're yeah. empty without the connection and why yeah. these things that take us out of that connection are like a cancer in itself. Yeah. These are the... Well, it's like a synthesized dope. Right. It's a synthesized connection. It's like a shortcut to connection right. that ends up cutting off relationships or straining relationships with other people. For sure. Yeah. Inorganic. And I, I'd say that, you know, if I could you know talk to somebody that's struggling, to, because a lot of times people say, like, I've tried to quit. I tried. 
and they just kind of give in. It's like, it's just, it's just part of who I am, I guess. Uh, I just, you know, my, my libido, my sex drive is way up here and my partner's isn't. And therefore this is just the, the reality. And, and, and they, they can kind of really kind of talk themselves into a state of this is normal. This is fine. I can manage this. And that's kind of, that is literally the addicted brain talking to them, right? Yeah. Like it's kind of keeping them in that cycle. And I'd say to, to somebody that's, you know, if you've forgotten everything that we've said earlier, everything around recovering healing, I would say, don't lose hope and keep getting back up. Yeah. Keep getting back up again and again, as long as it takes, because each new moment is a new moment, yeah. a new opportunity to succeed. And, uh, and the fact that they're maybe listening to this podcast right now, the fact that they're maybe signing up or, or opening up to a friend, those are significant milestones mm-hmm. yeah. in, in a larger process towards healing and recognizing that it is a process. Yeah. If you try to like incredible hope this moment out and just kind of like, you know, I'm done right now, which everyone who's tried to quit has tried that. Like, okay, that was the last time I'm married now. I don't need this anymore. I'm out. And what they find themselves is like, it just comes back. So they need to take a, a new mindset of like of, of again building that new building that relationship mm-hmm. strengthening those connections yeah and it's a process and to not beat themselves up yeah you know with every slip but allow that to be a learning experience and say okay how can i take this and yeah. learn and understand this better for next time yeah and i think if you're a friend too if you're the friend that somebody's coming to like a big thing is to not shame to not bring shame or like judgment or anything like that like i'm i come from the place when people bring stuff to me i'm like i have no reason to judge you for anything that you've ever done Mm -hmm. and so like i'm like if you feel like this is what you need to get better like i'm here for you and i don't like i try my best not to judge people because i'm like what what place do i have to judge anyone else on anything no reason and no authority exactly and so shame them they're definitely not going to come back to you yeah with their (laughs) yeah yeah shame shame only makes uh, an already challenging complex issue much more challenging and much more Mm -hmm. complex shame um, in, in the research, this is really interesting. Shame is associated um, with perpetuating the um, the compulsive behaviors. Yeah. Whereas guilt, which is very different than shame, and, and anytime we put those into the same bucket, we're interesting. To guilt is is highly associated with the motivation to change and uh, uh, moving away from the compulsive behavior. So a guilt, a feeling of guilt is a feeling of like a misalignment with your core values. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, which, which, which is a healthy thing. It's kind of like physical pain when you put your hand on the stove. It's kind of like that thing that says, get your hand off the stove because this is not good for you. Interesting. Guilt can be a very, as a teacher, guilt is, is something that we shouldn't push away. We should learn from. Shame, however, could not be more opposite than guilt. Wow. Shame is so Interesting. toxic. And so it pushes you in the opposite direction that guilt does. Yeah. And so when we put those in this like shame and guilt as if they're like companions, yeah. they're literally yeah. opposite ends wow. of the spectrum. And uh, we need to stay as far away from shame that is the toxicity of shame and move more to, well, and, and we should never guilt somebody. Totally. Like the guilt that somebody feels is a yeah. personal one. And that can be a healthy, yeah, that's you know, really course correcting emotion. Interesting. Shame something I've always seen is like, is like a combative thing. It's almost like when you tell someone like what to do and they're like, cool, I'm going to do the exact opposite. Uh, and then the guilt is like you wake up in the middle of the night and you think about this thing that happened whenever two weeks ago. And it's like, it stays with you because you know, you said something wrong that maybe hurt someone's feelings or whatever it may be. And it's not resolved. And because it's not resolved, 
it keeps kind of showing up and it's kind of like, Hey, you're going to resolve that. You're going to resolve that. Or are you going to address that? Um, well, I really like, Oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say, I really like that framing of like guilt is like a misalignment. It's like knowing it's actually say, I feel the same thing like with creative work, bringing it back to creativity. It's like when you know that you could be better, when you know you're delivering something and you're like, Oh man, I know this could be better, but I'm just like, I'm, I got to get this done or whatever. And it's like, you know, it's not aligned with who you are and your purpose and all of that stuff. And I tell creatives to like lean into that because it's like, you know, you have more to give, so you should give it and don't let that stop you from creating or moving forward and all that stuff. Same thing here. It's like the guilt should not be the thing that takes you out. It's, it's just your body being like, you're not aligned right now and you need to, yeah. And it, and, and it can, can be a beautiful thing. Um, I, I think that societally, we've we, there's been this huge wave and push against shame, uh, you know, rightfully so, because of how toxic and, and, and destructive shame is. But I think for some, that pendulum has swung too far the other direction, where any any emotion of guilt is like you can't you you know you can't feel that, and like everything is is. Okay. Is, uh, you know, any feeling of guilt is is ultimately uh, somehow not okay as well. And I think that that uh, that that's where we need to come back. And and Brene Brown, who is like the she's amazing of all shame research, she's very much aligned with that. She's like, no, no, guilt is super healthy. Shame is super toxic. Let's not let's not misrepresent what's happening. Here. Yeah. <clears throat> Love Brene. Anyway. <laughs> Clay, well, it's uh, we're coming up on time here, and we don't want to keep you too long, even though we're having a really, really wonderful conversation, and we're all really enjoying this. Uh, we're curious on if there's any parting words that you would like to leave the AOV community with. Um, that's a great question. I, I'd say that um, I guess one parting statement is, is, is join the movement, be a part of the solution. And I'm not saying join the movement, mean join, fight the new drug, or uh, I'm saying be a part of the solution yeah. here because we have, um, I, I, you know, you could look at this as a daunting task that we as a society have on our shoulders to course correct our society in a more healthy direction towards real love and avoiding the hollow counterfeit that is pornography and everything it represents. And I think that, that in order to achieve this, in order to succeed at this, we need you. We need all of us to rise up and and uh, and be a part of it. And that can look as simple as uh, opening our mouths and sharing uh, the, the truth and sharing the research and 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 being there for people that are seeking freedom. We talk about our mission at Fighting Drug is is to fight for real love and avoid the whole country. It's to fight for those seeking freedom and be a support and guidance and, and encouragement for them and not shame them. And it's to fight for those that are victimized and that, that need a voice that, yeah. are, uh, that otherwise don't have one. And so, you know, we want to, uh, we want to push us in a, in a direction that's much more healthy society. And, and it can be daunting to think about that. It's daunting to think about overcoming your own struggle, let alone pushing a society in a new direction. So I would leave you with this, this quote by Edward Everett Hale. He said that uh, I am one, I am only one, but I am one. I, I cannot do everything, but I can do something. And I will not let what I cannot do interfere with what I can do. And mm. so I, if I had time, if we had you know, 20 more hours to, to talk, we could share story after story after story of individuals with, you know, that, don't, that don't have huge platforms, that are just common individuals that are making enormous ripple effects 
uh, within their own sphere, within their own community, using their talents, um, wherever it may be. I mean, uh, Garrett, who you guys have met, he decided to run 30 marathons in 30 days wearing a Porn Kills Love shirt and having people sign it. And then decided that wasn't enough. He decided to ride his bike from Virginia to San Francisco by himself, dragging chains, which represented the uh, the, the addictive wow. nature of pornography. Now that's uh, that's kind of, you know, he's he's alien that's not human (laughs) but but, my point is that he just took ownership and and he just said like what do i like to do and what can i do and other people are doing more simple things like wearing a t-shirt or starting a conversation or you know organizing a, a screening of a free documentary series or whatever it is but the more we kind of link arms and take your your own skill sets and your own creativity your own sphere of influence and and start to move in a more healthy direction i mean I cannot under, uh, understate the impact that that has. A single voice can change the world. I believe that to my core, and and each one of the people listening to this can have a huge impact and make a huge dent. Good. Good. I love that. Our arms are linked. We're with you, brother. Uh, thank you so much. That was that was really insightful, um, and we know that our listeners are really going to take. Uh, some really really amazing messages away from this conversation we just want to thank you for coming on the show thanks so much for having me we appreciate you